Coach's Corner Chats would like to thank Fearless and Capable for supporting the podcast. Visit fearlessandcapable.com. Hey, this is Karen, Coach's Corner Chats, and on the episode today, I've got Carrie Sarver. Carrie, where are you at and what are you up to? Hi, thanks for asking. I'm in Akron, Ohio currently. Um, I actually grew up here and, and soccer has brought me back here as well as my family. So I am currently coaching, directing, and the owner of the International Soccer Club, as well as Pinnacle Sports Complex, which is a multi-sport facility. And then I also am the assistant coach right now for the New Zealand Women's National Team. So I kind of have three career things going on. What is it like time-wise to balance three pretty large endeavors like that? Yeah, well, first of all, I have a good team around me. So I have a lot of help from good people uh, that make my life and my job easier. Um, But honestly, people have asked me this before, and it's kind of what I've always known. Um, Even in my younger days as a student athlete at the University of Maryland, I was focused on soccer, but I also had the ambition of being um, in the computer um, science industry or the computer technology industry. So I was getting a degree in computer science as well as focusing on my soccer career. And in a way, even though I was still a student, it felt like two full-time jobs. And so I think from that experience, it's helped me figure out how to balance um, everything else that I've done in my life. So from there, I went on to, um, when I graduated Maryland, I actually had a career um, for a government think tank called the MITRE Corporation, where I was working as a software developer. And at the same time, within that same year, the NWSL, um, former NWSL, which was called WUSA, uh, Women's United Soccer Association launched and I was drafted to the Washington Freedom at the time now Washington Spirit but my point is that I had I was playing professionally and had that full-time career at the same time so in a way it's that's why I say it's kind of what I've always known I, I really don't know what I'd do if I just had one uh, path one job or one now I will say now it's kind of all connected so that helps too was was that something even as a youth were you in everything and all over the place as you were growing up well sort of I grew up with three older brothers so I came from a very active and athletic and and competitive family and actually my first passion was gymnastics so in gymnastics a very disciplined sport uh, takes a lot of time and a lot of commitment and so again from an early age I think I learned those values and was playing soccer because that's what my brothers did both my parents were involved with the game um so yeah, multi-sport family, but my two, my two main passions were gymnastics early on. And then probably at the age of 13 and 14, my passion switched to soccer. Um, and I did play other sports, but it was, it was always soccer for me from the age of 13. Did you, when you were playing growing up, were you part of internationals or is, is that yeah. just where you just ended up now? Yeah, I think that's a pretty cool part of my journey. I I grew up in my younger years playing on boys teams all the time. So up until about 12 years old, 13 years old, it was always on boys teams. And Dravko Popovich, who's the long time, he's the founder of the internationals. He started the club in 1976. Um, At the time, kind of approached my parents and said, you know, I've heard about your daughter. I think she should come to our club. And at the time, my dad was like, "Eh, I don't know. We're kind of doing our thing over here. But within a year, Dravko is pretty convincing person within a year of that I was over at the club and then honestly that's where I continued you know that the the move to the internationals is what really fueled my fire to uh, focus on soccer more and then eventually Dropko is my first coaching mentor so he's the one that kind of 
led me on my path to a coaching career. And for him, it was more about a career in soccer once your playing days were over. So he always stressed whether it's a coach or a referee or an administrator, there's always something that soccer can continue to give you. And of course that you can get back to the game. And so from a, from the age of 14 or 15, I heard him say that to me. Um, he always pushed me even as a high schooler, or a teenager to get my coaching license and, and invited me to coach a help coach for the club, our younger teams coach clinics with him. And that's kind of how I started my coaching journey. Um, at the same time I was playing ODP Olympic development program and April Heinrichs was my coach for ODP. So she was another one that I would consider a lifelong coaching mentor of mine because she did the same thing. She had the same values like Drofko did and really instilling the next generation of coaches and especially female coaches. So I credit both of them with putting me on this path. How, how impactful has it been to have, have those coaches, not only at the start, but it sounds like you've stayed in contact and have now, like even to this point, being coming back as a coach, how rewarding is it to go from player to coach or director and still be working with them? Yeah, I would have to say they really, um, uh, other along with my family, so probably at the same level as my family, those two, April and Drafko, have had the biggest influence on my life because of that. They really set me up for the path that I'm on right now, um, inspired me to be on this path. And so kind of just closing the loop to what I was saying about my club with the internationals is I played for Drafko and for the club from the time, like I said, I was about 13 until I graduated for college. Um, and at the same time, he started me on that path. So then I, I went on to the University of Maryland where April Heinrichs was my coach and also was very encouraging of all of us uh, that she that played for her to, to give back to the game at some point, whether, like I said, coaching, administrating, something involved with the game. And then I'd come home in the summers and work clinics for the club. Um, once I graduated, I stayed in Maryland, like I said, or sorry, the DC area because of getting drafted and then my job as a software engineer but I always stayed connected. Like I was, because I was a software engineer, I ended up doing some technology things for the club. Like I started our first website. Um, I somehow got roped in by Dropco to do all the registration for all of the um, players in our club. So I had my own job. I was playing professionally and I was doing this stuff from remotely from DC, but it honestly is the reason why I'm doing it. Now I own the club. So I, I think because I had a little bit of taste of what it took, not just on the field that came more naturally to me because I was a player, um, even off the field, just those little things trickling into my life and doing it really on a volunteer basis originally. And then it inspired me once I was done with my playing career, once the league folded, and then I had another opportunity to decide what path I wanted to go down, I moved back home. Um, and interestingly enough, still worked for the company in DC remotely, um, my, my software engineering job, and then just slowly started coaching more and more. And then that became where I was like, okay, this is where I belong. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting on how, how that path came about. And then of course, even when I moved back home, I wasn't ready right away to leave the club. It took probably 10 years of training under Drosco. Um, and like I said, doing all of the things that it entails to then realize, like, I think I can do this. And now I lead a team that helps me do it, of course. What, what were some of those things during those 10 years um, that you felt like, was it just an experience thing, confidence? Yeah. Uh, what was it that you felt like there was maybe a little uh, like spots that we needed to fill and, and improve upon? 
So really good question. I think along the way, like the thing I was most comfortable with when I first started coaching was the technical side of the game, just teaching a kid how to plant their foot to strike a ball. And mostly it's because I could show them how to do that, right? Like I could use my words, of course, and help correct them. But if I, if I couldn't do that, I could always show them, you know? So that was the easiest and most natural. And I remember sitting on the sideline with Drothko one time and he was making some tactical adjustment. And I just looked at him and I said, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. Like I was more like as a coach on the sideline, I was focused on the ball, right? Like I started just watching what the kid on the ball did and I could help her and correct her. But then I realized, well, this game is much bigger than just the ball, right? Like there's a lot of stuff going on off the ball that we have to help and encourage and, and correct and fix. And even seeing, you know, spaces that the opposition is giving us. So that was probably, I was not confident in doing those kind of things, but saw how good he was at it. And I was just like, I don't think I ever can do that. And his response is, yes, you will. It just takes time. Keep doing what you're doing. And he was right, like slowly, but surely watching more games on TV, being on the sidelines more. Then I was very confident in running team training. So that took maybe two more years. Um, but where I was still not confident was when parents were watching. <laughs> so you have the year <laughs> this fishbowl now and you're like, oh, what? And, and again, Drofko is always very helpful to say, hold on, what are they doing? And what, you know, you've lived your whole life with this game and they're just observing. So that always made it helpful for me too. Um, so yeah, it was just like one, one thing after another, it's like I slowly and surely developed more and more confidence to be sure of myself to be, I was also a young coach at the time, like just coming out of my playing days, um, you know, mid twenties with what I thought wasn't a lot of experience and, oh, and then getting my coaching license. Of course, he encouraged me to do that. And again, threading, tying the thread with April, I think at the time she had a U.S. soccer, she was working for U.S. soccer and there was a scholarship in her name to get a, the C license. And so I remember her encouraging me to apply. There was a separate committee that decided who got the scholarship, but I ended up applying and winning the scholarship. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm not ready for my C license, but with those two encouraging me, I did it. And of course, you know, then a year later I got my B and a year later got my A. And so that of course um, helped my confidence as well, just meeting those milestones. And then right around the time, I think that I got my A license, April called me up. She was the youth technical director for U.S. youth, uh, sorry, for U.S. soccer's youth national teams. And she invited me to a camp, a U18 camp. And again, coming back to the confidence piece, she knew that I was working in the club and working with ages 10 through 19. And I remember her asking me, which age do you feel most comfortable with? And I said, well, I think probably 13, 14, the, the younger age, but still 11 v 11 environment. And I remember her pushing me like, why, why not? 17s, 18s, 19s. And um, again, I think it came back to confidence, but she encouraged me. She actually invited me into a camp as an assistant. And from then on, like being in that environment, again, being surrounded by her on the field, it was just, that's when I really was like, okay, I'm good at this. I know I can help players, not just, you know, good at it for my own ego, but can help. Most importantly, I'm helping players, instilling that passion in them. And so hopefully they can kind of follow in my pathway um, to not only be the best they can be as a player, but hopefully inspire them to want to be a lifelong participant in this game. So I know that's a long-winded answer to your question, but there's so many <laughs> threads and connections and, you know, the club being such an integral part of it um, with Drafco and then U.S. soccer with April, it's 
you know, cause I watched April grow. She was my first hero. So just female her hero. I had a lot of male players that I emulated, especially because of my brothers and watching the game, but she was the first where I was like, hold on, females can do this. They can be Olympians. And well, at the time she was, <laughs> it wasn't in the Olympics yet, but they can be in the world cup. They can play professionally. She was playing professionally in, in Italy. So she was my first true role model as a player where really the sky was the limit. Um, so to have her continue to be that thread in my life that, that inspired me on in my coaching journey as well, I think it's pretty special. The other thing that you mentioned, you said the support of them, but also your family, what has it been like for them to kind of watch you grow at, in, like in confidence and as a coach and take on like such a large role in the directory and, and as a director and all those types of things? Yeah, that's funny too, because I think in early on, um, when I started to go down this path, you know, they, they kind of, my dad actually, like I said, he was in the game. My mom was in the game as like a, you know, community level referee. My mom played in open women's leagues. They both coached my brothers. My dad actually wrote software for the local youth um, organizations to do all their scheduling and registration. So very much connected to the soccer world, but I also think when I got my degree in computer science and then started on this path working for, you know, government contractors that were doing some pretty special things, um, you know, saying that I'm a database technology software engineer just has a little more ring to it than I'm a soccer coach, right? So um, I think early on, like even my when my grandparents were still living, like that was a sense of pride for them to be able to say my daughter or my granddaughter works for the government and these big projects versus, yeah, she's coaching soccer in Akron, Ohio. So that was always like, at the end of the day, I didn't really care, but just to your point, it's like, it really wasn't thought of at the time when I started on this journey as like my real career. It was always like, I had a career as a computer software engineer, and then my passion was soccer. And that's just something I did, you know, when I got off my job, when really that's when I started to think it's the opposite. Like I'm, I'm doing this cause I got a degree in it and it pays the bills, but really soccer is my passion. And I think I can make a career out of it. So um, now they see that <laughs> they see all the things I've been able to do. And I think, I think if you ask anybody in my family, they would say, this is, you know, this is what I have been meant to be doing. And the so of course, I'm very supportive and, and proud as well. The other thing I wanted to bring up was you talked about um, like April being like, a hero and a woman to look up to. And now you're in that position. How important is it? Um, I don't know what to say like pressures or anything, but being a yeah. female in the position that you are, um, you went through like the C, the B and the A. And I'm assuming when you looked around the room, there wasn't a whole lot of other females in the mix. So what has it been like kind of going through and doing what you're doing at the high level that you are at, at as a female? Yeah. I think first and foremost, it's a huge honor um, to be able to be in that category to kind of help lead the way in this field. Um, but again, if I take it all the way back to my upbringing, I was surrounded by males all the time. So like mm -hmm. when my brothers were playing in the backyard, it didn't matter what sport, like it, I never gave it a second thought to, can I play too? I just went and played. And yes, they maybe, um, you know, put me in goal and shot the ball or the hockey puck as hard at me as they could. And it was fun for them, but I honestly did not care. I just wanted to be playing. I didn't care if it was boys, girls, doesn't, didn't matter. And at the time it was just happened to be mostly boys. Um, my father and mother, I mean, my father, especially raising three boys and then me never treated me any differently. If I wanted to buy a skateboard, sure. You can have a skateboard. 
And why did I want to buy a skateboard? Because my brother was riding a skateboard. So it's kind of like that's the foundation for what I've done. And then um, you add Drofko into the mix, who started this club as a boys and girls, like actually men's and women's, who started the internationals as a um, open men's and women's team. And he took interest on in the women's side, mostly because nobody else wanted to. So he stepped up and said, I don't care. It's soccer. I don't care if they're men or women. I'm going to coach them like soccer players. And so I kind of never knew any different. I never felt any different being a female playing versus a male Um once or twice I've had, you know, coach boys teams and they're like, what do you know about soccer? You're a girl. And I was like, again, like 20 years ago when I first started coaching. Other than that, I've never, I never felt like this wasn't my place, so to speak. However, obviously, especially with the social conscious, um, you know, putting, giving more attention to it, I do realize it's a very big place of privilege because now I'm leading a group of young females, um, young girls, young women who just like I did with April, they can see like my biggest responsibility has nothing to do with soccer. It's being a role model. And again, I credit her and Dropko. They always led by example, um, taught values before they taught soccer. And I think for me, that's, that's really why I'm inspired to do what I do. I think if it was just about the soccer ball and technique and tactics and wins and losses, I don't think I would have done it this long, but because I have this huge opportunity and huge responsibility now to impact the next generation of not just females, but female leaders. Um, that's the most rewarding piece for me. And what I've realized, because again, when you start down the path of coaching for us soccer, whether it's a youth national team, a professional team, a full team, it's always like, that's the sexy thing, right? Everybody wants to know about your time with the U twenties or the U 19s, but really the most rewarding work comes from what I do with the club. And that's with the nines through 19s that are going to go on. And some of them do have the, talent to play on our national teams or to play professionally most of them will not but i know that we're giving the foundation to be successful to be confident um and to be a leader regardless of if they're surrounded by men or women i think they can lead anybody when they leave our club what's the what's the size of the club like how many how many like players are we talking about it's very small so we're in the ecnl um which is the highest level of youth girls soccer in this country and we're, I, you can't quote me on this because I don't have the data, but just from experience and knowing we are at least, if not the smallest, one of the smallest mem member clubs of the ECNL, we stay roughly around 350 players on the girls' side. So um, we're competing against clubs that are in the thousands and sometimes tens of thousands, but we're relatively small. And again, that's a decision. The youth soccer landscape has changed quite a bit in the 10 years that I've been, you know, that I've been kind of leading the way and every year it's like do we want to grow do we want to merge do we want to get bigger and my answer has always been no because i don't feel we can be as impactful right i don't think we can um i didn't think that i don't think that we can take the values that i care so much about that i mentioned before and continue to implement them at the highest level if we get too much bigger because then you just start to lose that piece i think we could still run a good soccer club but for what our real goal and purpose is, and that's really impacting and teaching life lessons through this game, I think it's just, you know, where we are is probably about as big as I'd want to be. The other thing you talked about was the, with all the threading and all that type of stuff with April, when you were playing there, what were some of the other things beyond just the values? What were some of the things when she ran that program that you look back on and go, I really, really liked and took away those things as positives? 
Yeah, I would say one of the biggest thing is, is the permission to compete. So, you know, like it's okay to compete. It's okay to give your best and to be in the spotlight sometimes. And also it's okay to fail. Um, I think just giving us that permission to, to make mistakes, to fail and to work your butt off and to kick people and to do all those things, like, because you're working towards something and you're giving your best towards something. And I think that kind of value or attitude applies to the rest of my life as well, even if it's competing with myself. So just giving you that freedom and per, per, permission to compete. And also, like I said, to fail and then to learn from that. Um, I think, of course, the, the discipline and the commitment it takes to reach or to have the grit and perseverance to reach some of these goals that you have in life, even in the absence of short-term success or short-term feedback where everybody's telling you or giving you this feedback that you have succeeded. I think being able to persevere even when there's no fanfare, right? There's nobody telling you you've done a good job. It's just knowing um, because of the work that you put in that it's going to pay off in the long run. And just having that that perseverance, I think I both of those two mentors of mine um, instilled that in me. Once you uh, move on, you're doing all that you're doing. How does someone who's in Northeast Ohio in the Akron area end up getting connected with New Zealand? Yeah, another good question. So through my time at U.S. Soccer, um, Yeke Kumkova, she was on the U.S. youth um, staff as well. So when I was um, an assistant for April with the U18s, one of the things that April brought to U.S. Soccer during that time was really pushing for age group coaches. So we had, you know, head coaches that weren't, per, you know, full time, like the U20 coach might run two camps and then somebody else would come do it. And um, she just saw that that was a little bit inefficient. And also she realized as the technical director, she had to keep reteaching or retraining up staff members. So for her time, it was very inefficient, right? Because every new staff member that came in, whether it was a coach or assistant coach or support staff, she had a lot of work to do to train them up and then they might only be in three camps or two camps and be gone somewhere else. So she really pushed us soccer to have single age group head coaches. So at the time, one of those coaches um, that applied and got the job was Yika. And I was at the time an assistant coach. So fast forward at some point in time, Yika was the U19 head coach. I was the U18 assistant. And then Yika became the U20 head coach. I became the U19 head coach. So we were connected because the two of us worked each other's camps. So like I would go in and assist with the twenties as the U19 head coach, she would come in and assist with the 19s. And then at that time we were in a world cup cycle, preparing the U20s for the world cup, uh, qualifying and then the world cup. So we spent a lot of camps together, a lot of time traveling the world together and just very similar values. I think, um, another, you, you had asked me that question before, but Another thing that I think is unique about my time at internationals is Ravko comes from Yugoslavia, uh, the former Yugoslavia, but Eastern European um, area. I grew up, my parents were Romanian, so I had that Eastern European influence and culture. And then you add Yika into the mix in my life, and she's from Czechoslo or former Czechoslovakia, current Czech Republic. Um, so she had those same culture and values. So we really connected from that perspective. Uh, we also see and, and feel about the game of soccer in terms of our philosophy and style of play, very possession and attacking oriented. Uh, we're both similar in that way. And then we complement each other in the sense that she's more of a big picture type person. So when you're planning for something like a World Cup cycle, you have to have that long-term vision to know what the end goals are. 
and I'm more, and I think part of it's from my computer science background, it's very detail oriented. So that combination, I think we made a re really good coaching team together. And then once the end of that cycle was over and we both left US soccer, um, I hired her to coach for the internationals. So Yik has spent two and a half years coaching for our club. Um, again, very unique for us as a small club in Northeast Ohio to have these, you know, myself, Dravko and Yika all um, impacting these players. And then her visa was coming up last summer and she decided to move back to Europe. And in the meantime, somebody called from New Zealand and said, hey, this job is open. So she applied, she got the head coaching job. And then naturally she said, hey, Carrie, what are you doing? <laughs> you want to come help me? Um, and she knew, she knew that my full-time job is here. And in the meantime, we had just purchased this facility, Pinnacle Sports Complex. So that's a whole nother thing added to my plate. So she knew I couldn't just pick up and leave and move to New Zealand with her, but um, kind of operating we did with US soccer as I'm coming into camps and, and you know, a member of her staff during the camps. And then of course we, we touch base between camps. So that's the connection there. Um, and she had previously worked at U.S. Soccer as a youth in their youth system as well. Sorry, not at U.S. Soccer, at New Zealand Federation um, before coming to U.S. Soccer. So it's a small world, right? These games and lots of connection, um, this game. But what I've learned along the way, too, is like it is a lot about connections. Like I, I'm blessed to be in the position I am because of the connection I've already mentioned to you. But I also know, and I tell my players this all the time, those connections can only get you into the door, right? You have to actually prove yourself. You have to contribute, have to be a good, first of all, a good person, a good team member, and then a good contributor um, to the overall goals. So of course, I don't think I'd be where I am now without all those connections, but I also know that most of that work had to come from me and what I believed in what I do on a daily basis. Otherwise I wouldn't still be, be in those positions. Have you had any opportunities, experiences yet with the New Zealand group, or is that something that'll be coming up? And like when they do friendlies and, and qualifyings and all those types of things, will you have to go over there or how's that balancing act of being kind of across the, the world going to work? Yeah, well, yes, I've had two tours with them so far. In November, we went to Korea, South Korea, had two games there. That was my first experience with them. And then just recently went to the She Believes Cup here in the U.S. So we had three games, two in LA, one in, in uh, Texas. And then our next event will be in Australia in April. So basically we're active during all the FIFA windows. Most of our players are either based in the US playing professionally or in Europe, or some are still in New Zealand, Australia leagues. Um, so we get them during the FIFA windows. And then right now the staff, part of the reason is uh, New Zealand had very strict COVID protocols. They were one of the most uh, strict and most um, sort of bubbled uh, countries in the world. And so they're slowly starting to open things up, but like um, for the Korea tour and actually Yika's first tour was in Canada. She didn't even have access to some of the New Zealand based players because they could leave, but they couldn't go back. Um, they had to quarantine and get permission from the government and all that. So, um, so that's been a process for her having finally getting access to the entire player pool. And then same thing with the staff members. So a lot of her staff, she's building from people based in Canada, staff members based in the US or Europe. And then eventually when it opens up more, I think she'll have more um, staff that are actually from and in New Zealand. She will eventually move to New Zealand as well. Um, but I will stay here and to your point, like connect, you know, Zoom makes 
all things possible now. So we connect once a week as a staff and she gives us little homework assignments, whether it's recruiting, sorry, scouting or touching base with players on certain things, um, breaking down film. And then once we're together, you know, we each have our roles as part of the technical staff. What's the, what's kind of the, the excitement and hope for New Zealand? Like where are they in the women's uh, big picture? And where's our hope kind of looking forward? Is there kind of a like, hey, in the next four years, we'd like to be in the World Cup. We would like to be like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So luckily um, for us, the next Women's World Cup in 2023 will be hosted jointly by New Zealand and Australia. So because of that, New Zealand has already automatically qualified. So New Zealand and Australia already know they will be in the World Cup as a host country, which takes some of the burden and pressure off us uh, for qualifying. Um, But one thing we have to balance is as part of qualifying, you're automatically, you get quality games, you get sort of the practice, right? To practice what it's like to be a part of a big event. Um, So by not having to qualify, we miss a little bit of that. Um, trust me, I'm not saying I'd rather have to qualify. It's nice to know we're already in. Um, but something like the, she believes tour also allowed us to do that. So we played three games, um, and kind of treated it like a group play in a world cup environment. So we'll just have to have creative ways and find creative ways as a staff to try to simulate that. Um, but as far as the goals for New Zealand, of course, you have a little extra pressure being a home home country, but to be honest, New Zealand has never won a world cup game yet. So our goal, number one, is to win our first game and to advance from the group. And this year you have to finish in the, or next year, you'll have to finish in the top two of your group to advance out of pool play. Um, So that's sort of where we're going. Of course, you want to say everybody wants to go in a major event and you have dreams of holding that trophy up. But realistically, where we are in the world rankings, um, I think that's a realistic goal for us is to continue to build over the next 18 months or 16 months now and um, build towards having that success in group play and then once you get out of group play as you know in this game of soccer anything can happen is there certain areas talked about having zooms with individual players about areas that they need to strengthen what is it as a whole when you kind of take a big like an overview of it that maybe new zealand as a as a program has to continue to improve upon if they're going to do and meet some of those goals you have yeah, to be honest, I would say it's the belief. Um, you know, I know it sounds maybe a little bit cheesy or it's mostly psychological, but at this level, that's really what separates, from my experience, what separates the top, top countries. Of course, resort, you have to have the resources, which New Zealand does as far as support from the Federation. Uh, we're very small player pool, right? The, the, the player pool in New Zealand is about a, as big as a player pool in North Carolina, so that's, you're, you're always, you know, on the back foot because of something like that. But the players we have are, are capable of competing and succeeding at the international level. So it's just, you know, they've had a, a little bit of a rough time because they've had a lot of changes in their federation, especially on the women's side, um, you know, as far as head coaches go and different staff. And, and I've gotten feedback from the players. One of the things they appreciate that Yika has done is trying to bring in support staff or supporting technical staff on a consistent basis. So kind of what I was saying about the early days with U.S. um, youth soccer system is if you're constantly having a different head coach or constantly even having different assistant coaches, it's really hard for the players um, to have that, you know, that belief or that feeling or that connection. It's just one, you know, one change after another. So I think that's another thing that Yika really values and she's going to push the federation for us to bring able to be able to bring in consistent, not only 
technical staff, like assistant coaches, goalkeeper coaches, but also the support staff that's working with the players sometimes more than we are, like our physios, our sports scientists, um, massage, they, they sometimes spend more time with the players than we do on the field. So I think that will be helpful. And I think that's going to, from the feedback I've already gotten from players, that's going to put them on that path to really believe in their potential. And if they see, and they're starting to see Yika's long-term plan and approach and how we are all working together as a team to implement it, I think even just those little pieces that they're starting to see come together, help give them that belief. Um, you know, I think that we are capable as far as the technical and tactical side of the game. Um, maybe not the most athleticism in the world. So, you know, the U.S. soccer has more athleticism than the New Zealand player pool, but I think there's other ways to be successful and to break teams down. And that's what we're working towards now. And also yeah. I'll say one thing, the mix between younger players and veterans. So New Zealand does have, you know, quite a few players who have, um, you know, over 50, 80, 100 caps, and then bringing those together with kids, sorry, women, who maybe only have like, for instance, we, we've had some first, first timers, first players earn their first caps in these last three tours, Canada, Korea, and then she believes. So I think that mix is going to be important as we lead, lead towards the world cup as well. What, what is it like? It, it's, it's very uh, interesting. The comment about the belief, because it's almost a similar thing that you would have with some of your youth players at internationals. What is the experience between dealing with those nine to 19 year old young ladies and then dealing with like some of these are grown women that have family and children and what have you. And then you've got the younger ones that are now getting, you know, their feet wet in international soccer, no pun intended there, but like, what yeah. is it like to go from like that club setting with teenagers to dealing with the international is, is it different or how does it, you know, your mindset yeah. change as a coach? Another really good question. And I actually had that same question before I left for the Korea tour. So the first time I've worked with senior level players um, consistently, right? I've been in, I've been invited to some sessions uh, with the U.S. soccer that working with senior players, or I've been, I've had a little taste of some coaching at a professional level, uh, more as like a, a observer or, an, or a guest, but never in a, a truly assistant or head coach role. So when I was leaving for the creator, I thought to myself the same thing. These are, again, grown women who have professional careers, who have experience on the Ferns, the women's national team of New Zealand, more than I do, right? Like I've never played for New Zealand or coached in New Zealand, but here are some players, like you said, with over 50, 80, 100 caps. So almost, you know, how are they going to relate to me? How am I going to relate to them? But I walked away after two days. First of all, great people. These are great great group of women to work with, great support staff to work with. The Kiwi um, mentality and personality is fantastic. Um, but what I walked away with after two days is as long as they feel you add value to what they're trying to do to help them reach their goals, they're going to listen, they're going to be respectful, and they're going to keep coming back for more, right? So whether it's a tactical adjustment I can help a player make, um, whether it's technically, or sorry, a tech, tech, uh, technical adjustment to help a player or a tactical, you know, system change we're trying to make or to help them see what spaces the game, the opponent has given them, or on the psychological side, um, you know, even, even things like working with them on their individual plans, like we, we instituted or implemented an individual performance plan. So at the internationals and at, at the youth level, we have in, individual development plans, IDPs. 
at the senior level, we call it individual performance plan. Because although they're still developing, it really at this level is about performance, right? They're professional players that get paid to play. They're on the women's national team. And our goal is, like I said, already to win our group. So it really at that point is about performance. Development never stops, but it, the focus is on their performance. So just being able to talk to them, number one, ask them, what are your goals? Um, what is your life like outside of soccer? What do you love to do? And I think they really appreciate that connection because we, we all know that there's life outside of, of the white line. So it's like first knowing that and then being able to, to add the technical, tactical or psychological or physical piece to them, to their plan, just to help them, even if it's just a little 1% increase every day. Um, and I think I walked away being pleasantly surprised that there's really not a lot of difference. You're trying to teach them the game of soccer, but the detail is what makes the difference, right? The fine level of detail that you use with a 12 year old that you're teaching, finishing to, to something that you're trying to refine in a 30 year old. But at the end of the day, you're helping an individual reach their goal. And that's the impact that you can have as a coach, no matter what level it is. How cool is it for the young ladies at internationals to flip on the TV and see New Zealand playing in the She Believes Cup yeah. um, and then have you come back? How, how excited were they for that? And how cool is it that you get to even share that like, hey, even at the highest level, a lot of the same things I'm preaching to you, young ladies, is the same thing yeah. that we're trying to continually preach to the professionals. Yeah, I think... Um again, you know, just feedback that I've heard, of course, it's, it's the word cool is, is the word I would use for them. It's cool for a 12 year old, especially with social media. Now they can retweet and repost and put on their stories that they saw their coach on TV, all that kind of stuff. But again, interestingly enough, and, and I thought this my first time going to a U.S. soccer camp, the first time April invited me to a U18 camp and in Drofco as well. And we're always trying to figure out, especially as a smaller club, how to separate ourselves. So you think to your, like, I thought to myself, well, wow, I'm on the U S soccer staff who would ever want to leave the internationals. Right. Or who wouldn't want to come to be coached by mm. a coach who coached at U S soccer or, or a coach like Drofco has been doing this for 45 years or uh, now a coach who's coaching for New Zealand, but that's actually not true right it's about how I treat them when they're here and most importantly how I treat them as a person so I can be on tv I could go win a world cup if I come back and I'm not inspiring to these young girls if I'm degrading them or am I or I'm ignoring them because in my mind they're not good enough they'll sense that and they don't care if I'm on tv or what badge I'm wearing on my chest right at the end of the day they care about what's in my heart and what I can give them um, and that was another thing that I learned as, as a younger coach after my first experience with U.S. soccer and now with New Zealand. It's very cool, uh, but at the end of the day, it's not the most important thing to them, and nor should it be. I'm actually proud of them for that, right? Like, you know, it's not about being starstruck or whatever. It's, it's really um, how I treat them, and I think that as a staff at the International Suite, that going back to values, that's one thing we have to remember is we're, we're molding them as people first and then what can we give them as a soccer player then that's secondary so we've touched on director new zealand and then you mentioned opening up your own little sports yeah. complex what in the world causes you <laughs> to add that to your plate so funny thing is i would say if i was sitting across from a player like i do a lot in this office and gave them advice I wouldn't hesitate to encourage them to play soccer as long as they could. I would never hesitate for them to give back to the game in whatever way that inspired them, whether, like I said before, a coach first, I would love for more female coaches to come out of this club. 
Um, but even again, we have young kids who, who do get their um, game official referee license and we, we have them referee our tournaments. We see them on the sidelines for youth games. It's so much fun to see them do that as well, or as an administrator. I don't know yet if I'd ever advise them to be an owner of a multi-sports facility. <laughs> so I have to hold my tongue on that verdict yet because I, I've just been doing this for a year. Um, it is completely different. So like I said, there's a lot of synergy to coaching at any level, to inspiring, to leading. Um, but now I have to deal with things like selecting, you know, what LED light voltage we need to light up the baseball field better, or, you know, the roof has a leak in it. And who do we call it? Like those kind of things are the things I, I really didn't wake up one day and say, I can't wait to do that. Um, the original plan, the reason why we wanted to take over this facility, this is the facility we've been, um, leasing for over maybe 50, going on 15 to 15 years now with internationals and it is a great home for us um, but we never owned it so it was always that fear of if the owner wants to sell if something happens uh, where do we go so this was kind of our, our long-term solution to protect the the future of the club first and foremost and now um, you know having multi-sports in the building the club can only rent so much space from pinnacle sports and even soccer in general can only fill so much space but we have multiple fields. We have multiple active areas. We have jump roping here, lacrosse, like all these different things that I'm managing a team who helps me manage it all. But the, and that's actually the fun part, you know, putting the pieces and the puzzle of the schedule together and who gets what field and when, but the other part, like I said, choosing lighting, choosing flooring, that's not so much up my alley, but I'm learning, I'm learning. So it's, and it is exciting. Like it is, it's different. So it does get me going. Sometimes it's, it's exciting. And just building a team that can help me do all that for the past year is really what my focus has been on. Um, so it's fun. If, <laughs> if we were to fast forward five, 10 years, where do you see Carrie? Does Carrie ever like settle down into one? Like maybe do you yeah. go the international route and make that a full time type thing? Do you um, just say, look, I'm going to take this internationals and just create this monster of a small club that just competes with all these big boys and girls, or do you just kind of take it as it is? Like you just brought this thing on a year ago with the sports complex or multi-sports. So now you have that to deal with and growing. Um, what does the future yeah. look like for you? So, um, I really don't know. I, I know that it involves doing at least parts of what I'm doing. And I actually believe five years from now, I'll probably be doing all three of the same thing, <laughs> to be honest with you. 10 years from now, I, I can't imagine I can keep this up for 10 years. So that's when it's more of, I have to sit down and make the strategic plan, kind of like Drafco did with me. It's kind of like his exit plan was me, right? Molding me, developing me into this person who could lead the club. Um, and I have to start to find that next person to secure the future of the club. Um, as far as coaching at the international level, um, it's exciting. It's thrilling. It's rewarding. So I want to continue to do that as long as I can. Um, but I also don't see myself only doing that. And that probably means, you know, if I ever had the opportunity to, um, I have had the opportunity to apply for hood coaching positions at that level, but it just never seemed like the right time for me. Um, and I would never say never, right? Like I can't say I would turn, if in five years, somebody offered me a job to coach whatever national team, I can't say automatically, I would say, no, 
I just think that if I couldn't continue to do what I'm doing with the club, I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure I would take that path or that I would even be happy because like I said, I do think the most rewarding thing of all of the things that I do is knowing that I'm impacting a young female's life in such a positive way. And I, I really want to do that as long as I can. This chat has been so awesome. It's been so cool kind of seeing like, I love the way you talk about the threading type of idea. Um, if people want to follow, you know, internationals and, and connect with you, what are some ways that they can uh, kind of follow this journey that you're on? Yeah, I'm actually not, I don't have, so I'm not on social media as a person. I just use it through my club and we're, we, the International Soccer Club is on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm so bad. I don't even know. I think our handle is at ISC girls on all three of them. <laughs> um, but that's probably the best way. I, I know we post a lot about what the club is doing overall, but then also when I, when I do go off with New Zealand or do other things on my journey, we're also posting that as well. So that's how I would encourage. And if they do, if anybody wants to reach out to me personally, um, especially a person that would like to follow the path, of coaching. And I'm always excited and happy to be a mentor to give back because like I said, without my mentors, I wouldn't be where I am. So if I can help somebody else on their journey, um, I would always make time for that. So a way to reach me would be through those social channels. And then that message, that direct message would obviously get to me. Um, but I would encourage anybody to do that if I can help on their journey. I have a lot of lesson learned, lessons learned that I'm willing to share. That's really interesting. Um, I just want to kind of pick, why don't you put a Twitter that's personal to you? Yeah, honestly, I when it, when the boom, the social media boom started, I was probably, I might get this wrong, but I want to say, so first of all, very technologically inclined. So most people are surprised. Like I, I love technology. I think mm -hmm. it's, well, there's curse to it too, but it's made my life easier in a lot of ways. It's always been intriguing to me. It's why I went into the field of computer science. Um, but when it first started to, you know, flourish and everybody was, I, I actually felt like I really don't have, like, I'm not that important, like for people to spend their time reading my little thoughts and tweets, like Oprah is pretty important. Like she has a lot of good things that people <laughs> want to know about, but me, I'm like, what do I have? This? So then, then I just thought, then it's too much pressure. Like if, if I'm going to put my, it better be really smart. Like everything I say better be really smart and impactful. And so I was like, I don't have time to worry about that. I don't have time. Even with our club, it's like the pressure of posting a lot of content. So people stay interested. And I have somebody else do that because I just couldn't keep up with it. So to try to keep up with my personal accounts, I just, I don't have time for it. I wasn't that interested in it. And uh, so that's really why. And I feel like, you know, through the club accounts, I can get my, you know, our message out, the lessons we're trying to teach. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, when it first started to become popular, I didn't do it. And then after a while, I was like, well, what's the point now? So <laughs> I like really that. It's kind of, it's a refreshing kind of take on things because there is so much, one of my buddies or the coaches calls it brain pollution. Yeah. There's so much just silly things that are put out. I know. Um, but I think it's really <laughs> cool. It's Go really ahead, cool sorry. to see how well you've done in terms of like, if, for me, as a person that loves coaching as well, to see you doing like director of that all your experience yeah. with U.S. soccer to now being assistant with New Zealand and to have done that pretty much through word of mouth, coaching courses, um, you know, with Ravco and, uh, you know, the other coach at Maryland, seeing so many good things in you and just saying, hey, go try this, go try that. Um, yeah. It's really cool that you've kind of built this 
literally kind of like you said almost brick by brick as you've been going along yeah yeah and I can't I have all of them to thank as well as like I said my family believing in me and never like I you know I grew up like I said in a time where I really did think I was going to play professional men's soccer and nobody including my brothers like you know older brothers they teased me a lot they made me cry a lot but I never remember them ever telling me you can't do it like no you can't ride a BMX bike boys are doing that, you know, and think about it. Now we hear that all the time, right? Don't tell girls that because you could, but back then it wasn't even on somebody's mind. It just so happened that that's how they were. They didn't see me any differently. Um, why can't she, you know, like, and that's kind of how I always live my way. Yeah. Why can't I do three important things at once? Why not? So that's just kind of, uh, again, it, it, that my family had laid the foundation and then, you know, some people say, you know, I you, you attract up that are like-minded. And I really think that's true. Like why was Drafko, why was April Heinrich now, now Yika so important? I think it's probably a two-way street where they were attracted to me seeing at a young age, what I was willing to do to reach my goals. So that as a coach, I see it, you're willing to give more to somebody who, who wants it, right? Like I'm sure as a parent, same thing, I'm not a parent, but I'm sure if you have to push and pull your kids all the time to do something, it's no fun. And I was that kind of player who, if my coach said something, I'm going to eat it up. I'm going to do it hundred percent. And luckily I had really good positive coaches that led me in a good direction. Um, so, and now, like I said, I couldn't imagine being on this journey without those influences. So Again, I, I know I'm probably repeating myself, but my hope is that I can do that, even if it's just for one one person that I've coached throughout the years. That is a perfect way to end this. This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats with Carrie Sarver, and I'm out. Peace. <laughs>Today's episode is brought to you by FitAid, vitamins you'll enjoy drinking. Visit lifeaidbevco.com and check out their awesome products. FitAid, supplement your lifestyle.